Yeah, I mean, I just I want to talk for a few minutes about my thoughts on spiritual. I was actually this started because I was kind of arguing in my head with the idea that of creating a space and God filling it. Like I, I really like that reading of that story. Um, but then there's like the you know God as the ground of being, God as uh, in Him we live and move and have our being. So there's something uh, like I again I like the idea. I'm not going to bring this up in the episode. I'm not going to like argue or anything. But I was thinking like, oh, if God, <laughs> spiritual practice is maybe like I think of it less as creating a space and more of like becoming more fully attentive to the space that you are in. If that makes sense. Okay. Um. But I yeah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. I'm not mad. I'm not arguing, not anything like that, but that was what kind of led to this. So I do want to talk to just, just a little bit about, um, the way that I see spiritual practice in general. I don't think, I don't think it's bad to talk about okay. a different, all right, let's do that because people like, I, I'm sure there are tons of people out there who already feel the same thing and they just need your voice to put words to it. Okay, great. Let's do that. This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with Reed Dent to consider a different framework for spiritual practice and explore how Reed engages his own practices. Hey, Brent. Different from what, Reed? Yeah, so different, Because you're the first. you're the first spiritual practice episode. So. I'm the very first one, even before Marty? Well, I mean, Marty had his back in episode 24, creating a space. Oh, okay. That was, okay. I guess, I guess technically you're the second. Different from that. Okay. Um, I love that episode, first of all, and I love the reading of that story, uh, the contrast between God creating a space and we fill it and we create a space and God fills it. Like, I think that's a very helpful way of um, thinking about spiritual practice, I guess, um, my, the question that pops up into my head after that is like, is God ever really absent from a space? Um, if we are trying to get God to fill something, does God, is, is God actually absent from something? Um, which again, I'm not trying to like nitpick. I, I see the value of like everything that you guys were saying in that episode, um, but I guess as I have gotten a little older, um, I have started thinking about spiritual practice a little differently because I think about God a little differently. Um, kind of a linchpin sort of verse for me when I think about the, or a, a linchpin sort of section of scripture when I think about God or like the nature of God is Acts 17 when Paul is uh, at the Areopagus and he's telling the people about their um, inscription to an unknown God. Um, and one of the famous lines from that uh, speech that he gives is in him, we live and move and have our being. Um, and he, just before that, he even says, you know, God did these various things so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out or another, I think translation of that is like feel their way toward him. Or even like grope, like if you think about like groping about in the dark um, for him and find him. Uh, and then he says, though he is not far from any of us. Uh, and so that's become pretty key to me that while God often seems hidden 
uh, God is never actually not there, that God is never far, that in God we live and move and have our being, and it cannot be otherwise. So that changes the way that I think about spiritual practice, um, because I think God is always there. Uh, and the way that I think about it is more like this. So I was, I, I think God, God is like sound in a forest. Um, and a lot of us are, we're moving through our, our, our lives, like kind of the way that my family of three younger boys goes on hikes. Like we're moving through our lives. We're stomping, we're tripping, we're constantly like chattering with each other. Maybe like we're frustrated. And so we're a lot more focused on just like getting the thing over with and like getting to where we're going rather than focusing on where we are. And so in that way, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're bumbling through this forest that is our lives. Uh, and there are all kinds of sounds going on in a forest, but we're missing them. God is always there, often missed. Um, and there's this whole invisible world of noise around us that we we can't see. And because of our crashing and our crunching, uh, we mostly fail to even perceive this invisible world of noise um, that then can start to fade in and become more apparent when we actually stop the crashing and clattering um, and movement. Um, so spiritual practice to me is um, maybe less uh, me creating a space for God to fill and more me becoming attentive to and aware of the space that I'm already in, if that makes some sense. So if we're using our... Uh, forest idea here. Spiritual practice is when we stop hiking and we we just stop and we listen. We stand still, maybe for a moment. Maybe we actually get out our tent, we make a bonfire, and we we just sit there attending to what is around us. And what happens when we do this? I don't know if you've ever actually done this in a forest, uh, but just stop and be still, and you notice, oh, these sounds that are actually in reality always there they begin to become present to our ears and it doesn't turn on all at once, like a light switch, like you stop moving and boom, there it is. Um, but these various noises kind of slowly come into our hearing these different things. I'm spelling it out for you now, these different aspects or experiences of God start to come more into view. Uh, the one, the things about God that are always there, the presence that is always there becomes a little bit more perceptible. Um, and when you're standing in a forest like that and you're hearing noises, you can choose then like, and you can, with your spiritual practices, you can do this where you, you kind of choose where you're going to direct your attention. You hear a noise. Uh, maybe it's a familiar noise, even if you don't have a name for it. Uh, maybe it's a noise that's new and strange and you're like, what the heck was that? Uh, and something catches our attention. And it, when you're standing in a forest like that, what do you do? You start to look in that direction. You peer in that direction looking for more. Um, and so um, spiritual practice then, prayer, fasting, scripture, as well as I think a lot else that we don't consider is just the act of paying attention, becoming attentive, of bringing myself to try to attend to the one thing that is God, already present in my own life and in the world, um, which is difficult to do um, because, <laughs> I mean, you got kids, like you got a you got a family, you got a job. Like most of the time, we're just 
rushing through too many things to be able to attend to any one thing. And I'm not blaming anybody. I mean, none of who, who can just sit still and look at trees all day? Like nobody can do that. We have to actually move through life. We have to take care of homes and we have to take care of relationships and careers. All of that requires a great deal of putting one foot in front of another and moving. And sometimes there's a lot of stumbling and hollering. Um, but yeah, it's it, the thing is that it's hard to hear all the sound in the forest when your ears are only ever filled with the sound of like your own movement. And so the benefit to me of regular spiritual practice, of regularly uh, intending to do something or rather cease doing something so that you can pay attention is uh, when, like if I think about the noises in a forest, I start to recognize them. Um, I start to even be able to maybe label them and say what they are. Uh, and then what that means is that when I have to move again, I got to pack up camp or I got to just start walking again. Uh, I think I can become better at recognizing those sounds that are still there, but now I see them uh, or I hear them as I'm moving through my life. And so spiritual practice, like acute or set apart spiritual practice, when I stop to attend there, I think I get better at being able to recognize and attend to the God who is there and other times when I'm having to like sit down and fill out my expense reports or when I'm having to like wrangle my kids for the eighth time to sit down at the table and eat dinner or when I'm out there watching the Chiefs game with my friends and watching Patrick Mahomes just walk all over the Bengals and that kind of stuff. Like I am more able, well, I'll be honest, it's not hard for me to recognize God in those moments. That's clear <laughs> oh enough. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I want to say too, that a big part of spiritual practice for me has become focusing really on like the experience as opposed to the education. Um, not that the education is bad. So back to our analogy, if I hear, if I'm walking at night or if I'm still at night in the forest, um, we go out to this place called the seed mill, uh, for retreats with CCF. It's this beautiful little piece of property uh, up on a hilltop overlooking like a big low valley in northern Missouri, and it's surrounded by woods. We take a bunch of guys out there. We sit around a fire. Um, the stars are out. It's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, we get still, and there is like a, an owl who lives out there. And you hear like when you are caught off guard by the hoot of an owl at night, uh, and especially if that's a new experience for you, there's something like ghostly and eerie and like really just like hits you in the chest about it. Um, that is like an experience with God that I'm after when I'm engaging in spiritual practice, the act of paying attention. Then maybe I go home and I maybe I don't even know that it's an owl or a great horned owl. And then I got to go home and I got to look it up and I got to say, which, which, which call was this? And Google like will tell me, or I'll learn some things about a great horned owl. Um, I can learn more about that experience or the thing that caused it, but that's not the same as the experience itself. And so in my mind, as I've gotten a little older, I've started to kind of differentiate in spiritual practice 
between like the I'm trying to learn more information and learn about what it is that I'm experiencing and then actually like the visceral like immediate experience of God or the divine. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I do. So I was thinking of like a, you know, a sort of similar experience. Recently, I was visiting um, my wife's family in Montana mm. and found myself pretty close to Grasslands National Park in Canada. So mm. I went across the border to check that out. And it's a pretty, you know, it's a sketch one. So it's already not a ton of people anyway. And it's grasslands. It's not like, you know, it's not big mountains. It's not this crazy, impressive thing in that in that sense. But it is this huge open area. And I found myself probably more isolated than I've been. I mean, I can't, uh, it's hard to think of the last time I was like around so few people in such a big space and just sitting there. And I mean, part of it is like, there's rattlesnakes out there. So I got to listen for the rattlesnakes mm -hmm. and like you hear something that might be a rattlesnake. And so I don't know if that fear is quite the like connection to no, God that definitely. I was looking for, but I yeah. mean, in some senses, sure. Um, but yeah, like the, like being able to just hear the wind move through the Canyon and the different grasses and, you know, there's a, a river that runs through there. So sometimes you're getting the water and that's, I mean, that's, it's kind of crazy how long it's been since I've been in a place like that where I, and I went by myself, mm -hmm. um, Maggie and the boys stayed, stayed back with family and I went up there by myself for the day. So mm -hmm. that, that's a rare thing. Yeah. And it was a pretty crazy experience. I'm still like kind of processing what that was like, I think, but that's awesome. And that's, I really actually relate to that. Um, there, and I think it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Um, where you said rattlesnake when this last summer or the summer before my family went to big Bend national park, uh, down in Southern Texas on the border with Mexico. And we were camping up there in the mountains and, uh, our tent site backed up to just like the, the wilderness and tall grass woke up in the middle of the night, like one, two in the morning and I swear I hear a rattlesnake like right outside our tent and I'm just laying there listening and my heart is like beating because I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it's a rattlesnake cause I'm like, certainly not like it does that. And I start doing all the rationalization. Like, could that really be, that wouldn't be right. This wouldn't be the time. Like there's, there's nothing threatening a rattlesnake in the middle of the night. Wait, if there is, is it threatening me too? Is there something else out here? You know, and I'm going through this whole thing uh, and then the next morning, uh, when, uh, we all woke back up, I, first thing I did was went over to the, um, the like camping village, like host person who's like a volunteer for the national park service who just lives out there all summer and they know a lot of things. And so I was like, okay, so this is the sound that I heard. Is, is that a rattlesnake? And he's like, yeah, there's nothing else that makes that sound out here. And I was like, why would there be a rattlesnake out here? And he's like, I don't know. There's probably something else out there in the bushes with it. And anyway, it was that, but it was like the, that I had an experience. It was visceral, like learning that it was a rattlesnake was much different than like being confronted with the sound of a rattle. Uh, and then I had to go figure out something about it, you know? And I think that's, you know, that's how it is in spiritual practice, um, becoming attentive 
uh, in the moment that I'm in, maybe in a lot of times I'm like carving it out, but also, like I said, when you're just going through your life, like you start to become more attentive, like just in the day to day and there, it's not like it, you know, every single day you have some great horned owl in night experience or something like that. But there, um, there are times where that happens and it's like, I don't know what I just experienced, but I got to find out more about this, you know? Hmm. Um, like to me, one of the key moments for me, and I, I may have actually talked about this on the podcast a while back. Um, but this was probably a couple of years ago. I went out, um, hiking as I do at this place called rainbow basin, hiking on a trail. Um, the leaves are changing in the fall. I mean, it's like beautiful in the Northern Missouri woods. And, uh, I was just, st- I mean, I was on a personal retreat day, um, and just hiking in silence. I had had my pipe smoking my pipe and I was just stopped in my tracks and there was like this deep thrumming kind of impression in me. And the phrase that came to mind, um, was from originally from Julian of Norwich and then T.S. Eliot, uh, rewrote it in his four quartets that, uh, all will be well and all manner of thing will be well. And that was like burned so deeply into me in that moment. But then I was like, and this is like a unmistakable experience for me. Uh, and then afterwards I was like, I got to figure out what this, what this is about, you know, like, and my brain goes to like, well, is everything going to be well? And like, there are all these other questions that start springing out from that. And I go do my investigation, you know, but it sprang from, there was a moment of experience that I didn't exactly know what to do with. And in the moment I wasn't trying to do anything with it. I was just having it, you know, but anyway, that's kind of like spiritual practice. There is a big experiential side of it for me now that is stilling myself trying to become attentive so that God can, uh, so that I can become aware of God, you know, through these different outlets, which I guess we'll, we'll be talking about a little bit, like what are some of those particular practices for me? I think let's get into what your okay practices are and we'll see what uh, conversation comes out of that. Yeah, great. Um, so I've just kind of structured it in terms of like time. I thought about daily um, practices or rhythms that I slash we have. There's a lot of um, intermingling for me of like personal or private and communal. Like a lot of my spiritual practice actually is with other people as well. Um, so I thought about it on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and then just kind of more occasionally, which could be. So I work in campus ministry, um, which our calendar is guided by the academic calendar. And so there are things that practices that we do like on a semesterly basis, or, you know, it's every handful of weeks or something like that. So that's kind of how I have it um, structured. So what should I just talk about? Like what a day looks like a little bit? Yeah. What is the, what is a typical day for Reed Dent? If it's the school year, there's a big difference between summer and school year, uh, in our house. Um, but most of the year is the school year. So I'll talk about that. Is that due to your own work rhythm or is that because of your kid's school rhythm or both? It is both. It is surely both. Um, so, uh, school year morning, um, we get up and the first practice that happens on a daily basis is we read um, just the scriptures out loud to our kids while we have breakfast. Um, that is usually Leanne doing the reading while I am listening in the kitchen packing lunches. Um, but we just hear the scriptures read uh, each day. Um, and we don't really do like a lot of discussing. Um, we just kind of we just kind of read and hope that that sticks somewhere. Um, I have to confess that I personally, and we 
as a family, like we're not great memorizers of scripture. This is just something that I'm not like very good at. I'm not good. I guess I'm not good at making the effort towards it. Uh, so we try to rest content with the reading of it. Um, so that's every day. And then once my kids go off to school and my wife goes out of the home to work, I have the house to myself. Uh, and a big part for spiritual practice for me is like place. So I'm always sitting at my table um, and I just have some time uh, for prayer. Now for me, um, what that looks like is, and I just want to, well, first I want to talk about this idea of prayer as a disposition more than prayer as, or prayer as a posture, as opposed to just like prayer as like an activity or a thing that you do. Um, there was a, there's a great poet named Scott Cairns, um, Orthodox Christian poet. Um, we should link a book or two of his uh, in the resources for this. <laughs> we certainly will. But he, he came to Truman uh, a few years back and uh, spoke to our group. And before that, we had just sort of a Q&A at the CCF house with whoever was interested in coming and talking to this poet. And he was talking about spiritual practice and how it had changed for him from the days that he was like in the Baptist church, which was most of his growing up life and his earlier adult life. And then he became Orthodox. He chrismated. Um, and he said something that has stuck with me ever since, um, cause he does a lot of red prayers, like they're written down and you're reading them like out of a prayer book, which is something that I use a lot too. Um, never used to use as a good, like Pentecostal. We didn't do stuff like that, but I have come to admit that I actually need other people's prayers to make my own a lot of the time. Um, but anyway, Scott said, you know, when I'm reading those prayers, uh, in the morning, whatever they are, maybe it's the Lord's prayer, which is one that a lot of people are going to be familiar with. Uh, he says, when I finish reading that prayer, I feel like prayer begins. Um, and what he meant was that the act of reading that prayer was the act of becoming attentive, uh, attending, like having his mind become attendant to the, the Lord's prayer. So when you, when you pray, like, give us this day, our daily bread, if you pray that every day for your whole life. Uh, then there are things about it, like the us sticks out, give us this day, our daily bread. So that then like when in the course of a day, I am, maybe I'm given an opportunity to provide some food for somebody. Maybe it's somebody who really needs it. Like they can't feed themselves, or maybe it's just, I'm out with friends. Um, and I am praying in my heart, give us this day. I see, oh, I can like the, the God who is always there, but often missed, I hear the God saying, give us this day, our daily bread. This is something that you can do. And then I hear God, okay, this is something that God wants from me. I become more perceptive like to the presence uh, that is always there through that. So the, the prayers that I pray kind of condition my mind. In, in a way, I guess, for like what's coming the rest of the day. And this is why a lot of us uh, will do like morning, noon and evening prayer <laughs> because we recognize, oh man, I'm not going to make it through a whole day just on morning prayer. Like I need more than that, you know? Um, so that to say, um, my prayer in the morning, I use a book. Uh, currently, I'm using this great book called... Um, Daily Prayer with the Corey Mila Community by a guy named Padre Gotuma. He's a poet. 
Um, shout out, great poetry podcast called Poetry Unbound that is hosted by him. He has the most phenomenal, soothing, magical Irish voice you could ever imagine. <laughs> anyway, he has a prayer book that just came out, um, and I use that uh, in the morning for prayer. And then I also um, I get quiet after that, and I just have um, some lists of people who, who – and this is something my spiritual father, Joe Belzer, taught me forever ago, was keeping various lists that you kind of go through like a Monday, a Tuesday, Wednesday. And so like I'm praying for my family on Monday, and I'm praying for my coworkers on Tuesday, and I'm praying for my friends on Wednesday, that kind of thing. Um, and usually for me, that's just an exercise of calling them to mind and imagining them. Um and just, yeah, just calling them to mind. And then the question is, is there something that they need that I can provide? Um, and, and again, that's like maybe something pops up in that moment or maybe I see them later that day and it's like, oh, okay. Like they, like Brian's like seeming a little off, like from how I normally imagine him. I remember saying this to Joe forever ago, um, Joe Belzer. I said, Joe, it seems really weird. Like you can read my mind. Like you always know what I'm thinking what gives? Are you like telepathic? And he laughed and he's like, no, I just, I just pray for you. And he was like, so sincere about it. Right. It wasn't like hoity toity, holier than thou churchy kind of stuff. He's like, I just pray for you, which means that he is thinking of me. Like he is paying attention to me in prayer. Uh, and maybe then when he is with me, uh, he is able to sense, Oh, the Lord is there and is, Hey, here's, doesn't read seem a little off to you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's prayers for others. So yeah, prayer book, prayers for others. Um, and then um, I just have some stillness, some quiet where I'm just sitting and I'm doing nothing. And it's weird sometimes describing to people and as a minister, like it's part of my work, but it's weird describing sometimes people are like, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, part of my job is doing nothing. And that sounds, <laughs> that sounds bad, <laughs> but all I have to say is try to do nothing and then tell me how easy you think that is. Um, right. You know, as uh, I think it was Henry Nouwen who kind of famously said, like, once you quiet yourself to the world outside of you, there is this whole inner world of chaos that just immediately opens up. And it is hard to be still and quiet. But that's important um, for me is, is quiet. Um, and then I try to uh, read some scripture. Um, I'm not really studying scripture here. I'm just reading um Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book um, that is about the spiritual practice of reading. And he talks about, and I know it's come up on this podcast before, like that word haga, um, the Hebrew that is like, you know, we translate it meditate, but it's also like when a lion is like eating its prey and it's like growling and, you know, as it's chowing down on a bone, like that sound is the haga. And so like what Eugene Peterson said stuck to me and that was, you know, you don't have to apply food to your life. When you eat food, it becomes a part of you. Like you ingest it, it goes in and it becomes a part of your like, you know, you don't have to apply it to your baseball game that night. Like it's just becomes a part of you. It gets worked out of you. So like when I'm reading in the morning, this is the approach that I'm trying to take is like, I'm just, I'm just eating this, you know, I'm not overanalyzing it. Um, if anything, I'm trying to do imaginary or imaginative kinds of reading where I, this is why I like more narrative parts of the scripture. Cause I can put myself in that situation. And I'm like, I sometimes talk about like the space between the words or the space between the lines. 
Uh, and it gives me freedom to look around and wonder like, oh, okay. So like, what does the air smell like when Jonah is like getting tossed about by the waves and like, is it, is it cold or, you know, that kind of stuff. And just kind of try to physically inhabit that. And sort of my, um, my, uh, Sherlock Holmesian like mind palace, um, is, is how I think about it. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it. And then I do, I do some other reading in the morning, um, try to read other things besides <clears throat> just like the Bible, um, which maybe I'll come back to that a little later. Uh, so that's, that's mornings, um, evenings, uh, my family and I, we have, there's another prayer book that we use the book of common prayer. Um, we use the one that is, it's called common prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. For people who are like 40-something like me and were in college and Christians back in like the early 2000s, you probably know Shane Claiborne and totally incredible. Uh, he wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution, which I felt like literally everybody was talking about 20 years ago. Um, but he put together with somebody else whose name I don't remember, put together this prayer book. And it's really cool because it's really like ecclesial, like it pulls from lots of different church traditions. Um, it's not just like the Episcopal prayer book or the Catholic prayer book. Um, they use lots of different traditions and uh, we use that every evening. Um, lest anybody think, like, uh, imagine some fantasy that, like, Reed's family just loves prayer and God so much because he's on the Bama podcast or something. Let me just tell you, <laughs> been doing. I have a 13, 9, and 11-year-old. I should have said that in the other order. 13, 11, and 9. Uh, three boys. We have been doing this literally every night for, I couldn't even tell you how many years. Many years. And still, to this day. We pull it off. We have a little bookshelf right by our dining table, pull out common prayer. And they're like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? We're doing this right now. And I'm like, yes, we are <laughs> just like your whole life. We're still doing this. And they'll like try to sometimes like they try to sneak it like Briggs will take it off the shelf thinking that I don't see what he's doing. And he'll like throw it like across the room gently or like slide it somewhere to where we're going to. Oh, what happened to the common prayer book? I guess. I guess we can't do common prayer because the book disappeared. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, the struggle is real. Um, it's very real. And to all of my people who are like, man, getting my kids to pray or care about the Bible is like the hardest thing in the world. All I can say is, yep, I'm right there with you. My only advice is just keep just keep hacking away at it. It's a long con. <laughs> Parenting, spiritual development of your children is a long con. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And then another thing that I would call a spiritual practice, I read out loud a lot, as we've talked about on this podcast before. I read out loud to my kids pretty much every night. Um, and it's not Bible reading. Like, we read lots of other kinds of stories. I think I've read Harry Potter, the entire series, all seven books, all the way through four times to my kids over the last however many years, eight years or something. So a lot of Harry Potter gets read, but also lots of other just stories and things for us. It's an important practice to engage with like lots of different kinds of stories and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's that. Is that, is that good for daily stuff? Is this a stopping point? Is there anything that you, um, want to throw in there, Brent? That seems pretty good. I think there's one other book that you did not yet mention that you have listed. Oh, okay. In your notes. Did I? Oh, yeah. So one of so a couple other prayer books just for anybody looking for resources. So I mentioned Scott Cairns. He has a book called Endless Life: Poems of the Mystics. It's really more like a prayer book. He has taken like church mothers and fathers, their writings, and kind of trans 
transmuted them into poetry, into verse. Um, and so it's just a book of poems that are actually like their prayers. Um, so that's a really good one that I have used much in the past. And then uh, probably I would guess there are going to be some listeners who are familiar with Every Moment Holy. Do you know this one, Brent? I don't. Um, it's through Rabbit Room Press, which is Andrew Peterson's like kind of gig. Oh, sure. um, but this guy, Douglas Kane McKelvey is the author. And it is like the most beautiful prayer book. It has prayers for lots of occasions, but like not just like the big ones of like prayers for like buying a new house or prayer for getting married. There's like prayer, a prayer, a liturgy for changing diapers, um, a liturgy for those who sleep in tents, um, a liturgy for those who are sitting around a fire. Um, one that we use a lot at uh, our CCF, like smaller summertime things is a liturgy to begin in uh, a meaningful gathering. Um, there are just lots of great liturgies and a liturgy for those who compete. I've read that one with my son before because he's extremely competitive and he likes to play soccer. Um, so we've had to spirit check with, uh, that, but yeah, that book is great. And then there's like a second volume that is all prayers centered around, uh, grief and loss, death and dying. Mm. Um, and they're just, they're fantastic books. So would recommend both of those. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. Okay. So then, oh, go ahead. Weekly practices. Yeah. So weekly practices, um, I, and this is like, I work as a, as a minister, as a campus minister, um, which means that my job centers around spiritual practice a lot. So anything I say here needs to be just like, um, tinted with that, uh, that I recognize that most people don't work in jobs that are just encouraging them to engage in spiritual practice. So if there's any sense of like, oh gosh, like Reed is like doing all of these different things. Um, just know that like, if it were my job to, you know, deliver the mail or do accounting or, you know, whatever other job, uh, I would not be like doing all of these things to this degree. So I don't want anybody to feel like defeated somehow. Um, but if there's anything that you hear, you're like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Like get your friends together, get your Bayma discussion group together and do some of this stuff. Um, so we do morning prayer every morning at the CCF house, um, for half an hour. Um, I lead one of those each week and then I try to make it to one other one each week. Um, and that's where I like to play with like forms of prayer. So I'll mess with litanies, um, Lectio Divina, um, prayer walking. Um, there is a prayer from Henry Nouwen's book, Spiritual Direction, uh, and it's called the Prayer of the Beloved. It is required prayer exercise in my mind for just about everybody. Um, but if you're looking for a guide for that, um, his book, Spiritual Direction, it's kind of a meditative prayer. Um, we do lots of different forms of prayer um, during that time. Um, and then, of course, I have my, I consider gathering with the church like a spiritual practice. So we do that Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, I would call the practice of like conversation or the art of conversation, like spiritual practice, um, where I am sitting with college students or my friends, uh, and just trying to draw out, um, real connection and depth and meaning in the conversation, which require requires like real intent. It doesn't just happen accidentally a lot of the time. Um, but I find myself doing this just by nature with, um, because of my job and pastoring folks. 
but I would call, yeah, the spiritual practice of conversation where we're digging into, um, you know, uh, joys and griefs and confusions and doubts and, uh, hopes and dreams and like, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, the practice of making yourself be really attentive to someone as you're discussing with them, I think is really important. Um, and being able to make space with friends or other acquaintances to, and I think Bema people like will resonate with this, uh, like the discussion groups, like we're going to open up a space where nothing is off limits. Like we can discuss, um, whatever ideas or, um, experiences are, you know, there, that there are among us. Um, so that's a practice I try to engage in the practice of conversation. Um, and then also like, uh, more like intentional study of scripture, this ebbs and flows for me. Um, it is heavier when I am preparing, like if I'm preparing to preach at CCF or if I'm preparing something for Bema, which is a lot of weeks, but it's not every single week. And the weeks that I don't have to, um, like teach or communicate or prepare something, um, the study aspect is much less if at all, like it's just reading in those cases, a lot of the times, but studying scripture where I'm like reading books about it and I'm using like whatever lexicons I have available to me and I'm reading commentaries and I'm calling Marty and I'm like, so what about this or L actually more like, cause she's, you know, she's, she just, she's a genius. <laughs> and I'm like, L what about this idea? Do I have this totally wrong? Um, that, uh, but for me, like as a preacher, my preaching preparation is very communal. I don't just like sit and like at my desk, uh, and bury my nose in a book, but I like to involve other people in that process. That's a spiritual practice for me. That's kind of what study looks like. Yeah. I love studying scripture together specifically. Yeah, for sure. Like I'll do some study before I record with somebody, Mm -hmm. but then the conversation during the recording feels like so much more of a, a spiritual experience to me than doing it on my own. I agree. And the best ideas and thoughts that I have do not come from just ex nihilo out of my own brain. You know, that's, that's coming from those kinds of cooperative endeavors. Um, and then the last thing I try to do regularly is, uh, engage with other media, um, in like a, intentional trying to connect and get something substantial out of it sort of way, like being an active reader of, um, so like movies are a big thing for me. Um, there is a gallery on Truman's campus that has art exhibits from time to time that I like to go visit. Um, or like even intentionally just like sitting down and listening to music. <laughs> I'm not going to tell this story right now. I'll save it for another time. Cause it would take us too far off the path. Safe to say, it is not. It is not very common for folks to sit and just listen to music. And I've talked to kids about this sometimes, like students, and they're like, "So what do you do while you're listening to music?" And I'm like, "Listening to music is what I am doing. Like there is, that is the thing I'm doing." Um. Anyway, but this is my my wife and I have arguments about music because I can totally have any kind of music just about on the background while I'm doing other things. Uh huh. And that doesn't bother me. I also like, I don't do it nearly as much anymore. I just don't listen to music as much in general these days, but Uh like, yeah, whenever I would get a new album, like I would sit down and I would listen to the whole thing through Uh and I'm looking at the lyrics and like, like I'm just totally engaged in it. That's all Maggie feels like she can do with music. Like she hates having music on 
in the background. Like if she has it on, <laughs> it is like an intentionally curated thing. Yeah. She's paying attention to it. So yeah. This is what I have to do with movies sometimes. Like if it's just a bros hanging out kind of situation and people are going to be talking through a movie, I have to like prepare myself for that because I like I need it to be like incredibly focused when when like we're yeah. engaged. It, but anyway, the important the, the, I I can't see a, a movie for the first time in that sort of context. It has to be a second viewing or later for me. Yeah. The reason why is not because I'm like trying to become some kind of art snob or like cinephile or something like that, but because I think that, well, so like the Bible itself is many different things, um, many different kinds of writings, many different genres, uh, and you can't read one the way that you read all of the others. Like you can't read all of them the same. Uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast but like if you're, you know, reading um, a book of poetry, like you're going to read that a lot different than the way you're going to read like um, uh, like a Wall Street Journal or something like that. Right. Like you're going to you're going to engage with those differently. Um, I remember I had a conversation with a youth pastor one time who had come to uh, this camp where I was preaching for the summer. And he was like, yeah, so I have high school kids and you have college kids. So like the kids that I'm pastoring are becoming the kids that you are dealing with, uh, right after me, what would you like, what would you tell me to have them do? Like what kinds of like Bible plans or like, would you have them like, do they need to be reading scripture more or they, what do they need to be doing? And I said, I would not tell you to have them read scripture more. Um, I would tell you to have them read other things more, read something besides the Bible and read something besides like what you get on your phone. Um, because like, you know, just for example, if a lot of the scripture is in verse, right, it's poetic. And if you don't ever read poetry outside of the Bible, then like learning how to read poetry is like a, that's a skill. That's a, like, you can be a better and worse reader of something. Um, and I find if I diversify like the kinds of um, media that I'm taking in. Um, and I try to let them speak on their own terms, try to learn how to read a movie and learn how to read a poem and learn how to read an album. Like if, if I can try to do that, and I'm not an expert by any means, by the way, I'm not trying to just like pat myself on the back or something. But if I make an effort to let those things speak on their own terms, I think it actually makes me a better reader of the Bible itself. I was just having a conversation about this uh, with a guy at a conference the other week. Um, and I think if only if, if like what we're reading is the Bible and then just a bunch of like commentaries or like books of theology about the Bible, um, I don't think that that's the best way because, um, because of the aforementioned, like the Bible is many different things. Um, I, I, it's not fair to the Bible for me to like try to always subject it to a certain kind of analysis and only a certain kind of analysis, if that makes sense. So when I am like engaging with other kinds of media, other kinds of art forms that actually to me is directly influential on the way that I then approach the scripture and how I uh, expect various parts of the scripture to speak to me. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. There, there's a, can I actually read something out loud? Of course you can read it's, it. It's my spiritual practice episode, so I it can... It is your thing. I can do what I want. Um, and I don't remember... I don't think I've read this one before on the podcast, and if I have, forgive me, but this is a really great, funny little poem 
um, by Billy Collins called Introduction to Poetry. And uh, it is the perfect kind of banner for why I try to engage with lots of other things and learn to read things on their own terms. Introduction to Poetry by Billy Collins. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. The end. So I believe you did actually read that before in episode 312. <laughs> great. Have it on again, because I can't say the point enough. We need like the there are many ways to engage with the scripture. Uh, some of us are always trying to torture a confession out of it to find out what it really means. And um, instead, we need to do what he is saying. Drop a mouse into it. Let it feel let it feel its way out. Hold it up to your ear. Listen to the sound of the hive. Like and when I engage with other kinds of things as a spiritual practice, that makes me better reader of the scripture. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So that's that. Uh, and then lastly, I mean, uh, just my more occasional kinds of practices, um, fasting and specifically media fasting. We do this at CCF for a week every semester where whoever wants to, we just invite to turn off as much or as little of your on-screen life as you can. Uh, so we have some of us who just completely turn off the phone and the computer for an entire week. We have, uh, I mean, talked to a number of people who like, I deleted social media off my phone and I was off of it for eight days. And then I just never put it back on because I realized that it made my life worse. Um, or, you know, they turn off of Netflix or just whatever. Um, but we abstain from that um, because, not because media is bad. Um, I just got done talking about how much I love different kinds of um, just visual media. Um, but because often for many of us, it's kind of a waste of time and it's a lot of noise and we need to turn off that noise. And this is a key thing about fasting for me. It's not simply about abstaining or going without. Um, that's only half of it. We abstain so that we can be filled in some other way or we turn away from something so that we can turn towards something else. So we have a positive, substantial element to our fasts. So like at CCF, when we do it, um, we'll do it for, uh, you know, we'll do a week long fast and each day during um, that week, we'll have a different kind of event or a different couple of events that are centered around non-digital in-person um, engagement with one another. So like we do uh, typically we make different kinds of soup each day at lunch and people come and we just read the scriptures out loud for an hour, like whatever we happen to be preaching through. Um, and we just read for an hour straight while people eat. Um, or we do, um, like prayer labyrinth. Um, we'll take people, Derek will take people to the prayer labyrinth in the evenings. I will do like a, we call it hot tea, warm reads where we make, um, London fogs. It's a kind of tea with, um, froth, half and half and lavender and honey. And it's really tasty. 
Anyway, we make that, and then I just read something funny or something entertaining out loud to people. It's like our, you know, revolutionary fist in the air against Netflix. Like we're reclaiming communal entertainment in the reading fashion. <laughs> uh, so we do that. Um, the last couple of times I have actually read picture books to college students, which sounds so strange, but, uh, it is actually very awesome. And there are some incredible, um, picture book authors out there who are very deep and who are making lots of really meaningful stuff. Uh, so I like to get that out, um, kind of toes the line between it is visual. You're looking at something, but it's a book, not a screen. What's, what's your, what's a good example of that? Just give me one example of, of a book that you would use in that mm, scenario. Uh, this is the perfect example. Um, maybe my favorite picture book author is a guy named Mac Barnett. And um, illustrator is a guy named John Klassen. And they've collaborated a few times. They have a book called The Wolf, the Duck, and the Mouse. Uh, would 1,000% recommend to anybody who cares about living in the world, a world that is fraught with danger, and the idea of life through death and joy in the midst of uh, struggle, it's an incredible book. So that's one example. Um, I could give many more. I have a bookshelf full of them at home. Well, we'll get people started with that. And if they need more, they can reach out to you. I say they're for my kids, but but they're really for me, Brent. Your college students are for your kids, are your kids too, right? That That's true. Also, don't call them children's books because they're not children's books. They're picture books. There's a great article in the New York Times about this. Okay, enough about that. <laughs> um, so fasting, media fasting would very much encourage anybody who's listening, like get with your friends and like see what happens if you're not going to be on screens for a week or with your family. And then like what will fill that space? What kind of fun, creative, uh, communal energy fills that space? Um, Let's see here. I mean... One thing that my uh, wife does and has done for 12 years that has also then become an occasional practice at CCF, um, we call it like gathering manna um, from the story in Exodus. Uh, and the idea is that the kingdom of God is present uh, in the routine, daily, mundane aspects of our lives, um, but we can very easily miss that. And so for a stretch of time, um, and we'll do this as a group at CCF, uh, we're currently in the middle of one, actually, um, 65 days uh, until we're going through the end of the summer, where each person just gathers up a thing. One day, you notice one thing, whereas like the small, routine, mundane, but God was God was in this, or this is something that I have to be thankful for. This is something that was provided to me, and it doesn't have to be a great big, like, oh, I got a new car. Um, but it can be like last night when Paul and Emily were walking together ahead of me and they were very clearly, very happy to be together walking over towards campus. Uh, that, that was, that was a grace to me. That was a gift to me to just be able to kind of be a fly on the wall and see that. Um, so little things, Leanne has been doing this, uh, this is the best practice anybody could ever do. And it's not mine, but I'm going to say it cause it's hers, uh, she has a box at home with 365 note cards in it. And the note cards are labeled at the top, one for every day of the year, January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and so on. Um, and each day, at the end of the day, she writes down a thing from that day. Uh, maybe it was something that one of our kids like said or did. Maybe it was like something that happened to her at work. Um, some of the things are 
overtly positive and some of them are actually not positive, like they're difficult things, but we take it all as provision as God is somehow at work in all of this. How can we notice, take time to notice where God is at? And I will tell you that it is an incredible, magical, mysterious time machine effect to sit there and pull out what's today. We're recording July 27th. And I can pull out July 27th and I can see something that has happened every July 27th going back for the last 12 years. And I can perceive our lives in that way. And what I perceive, and um, actually, I think I'm going to kind of end with this. This is a nice, this is a nice ending one because it wraps into what I was saying about becoming attentive. If we are only ever occasionally attentive or we're only ever watching for the way that God moves and like the really big things where it's like, oh, wow, I was stopped in my tracks in the woods because there was like a, you know, a bomb went off and I couldn't help but hear it. <laughs> then what we gather, like I, I, I imagine trying to do like a dot to dot, like a connect the dots where you're trying, what you're trying to draw is the face of God. And if that's all you ever do, you get like five dots in your life maybe or something like that. And like, what kind of a impression can you get out of five dots, you know? But if you do this, in this particular practice where she's been writing something down every day for over a decade, and that will continue for many more decades to come, um, but also in many of these other ways too, like the other practices that we're talking about where you're stopping attentive, but you, what you get is you're, you're collecting like this, uh, you're collecting like a thousand, thousand points to do a connect the dot with. And you look back at that on the last 12 years or on the last week or on just this morning. And what you start to see is, oh, God is there. Like there is a God who is always there, often missed, uh, a God who is always present, always uh, even concerned, if not concerned in the ways that I would want or think should be, uh, it is w- when we take the time to cultivate these practices of attentiveness, we become much more aware of, of that, of the God who is always there often missed. So, um, do it folks, write something down like each day, uh, take the time to remember, take the time to be still, to reflect to notice the God who is already there. Um, we can't, <laughs> we can't conjure him. We have no incantation. We have no daily devotional style incantation that can like make him do anything. Uh, we are simply trying to make ourselves aware of, uh, and attendant to the God who's there. Mm. And I think that's all I got to say about spiritual practice. Oh, it's beautiful read. I'm, uh, looking forward to sharing all these things with people and hearing back from listeners who have, you know, heard something new and gone and tried it. And then they just, you know, had an incredible experience or even like, Hey, I tried it and I'm not really sure about this. This just doesn't seem like, like between this episode today and the next three weeks, um, I think we're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of ideas out there. And I think that's awesome. I think it's going to be really rich. And I just look forward in the, in the months and years to come hearing from people, um, and how they've, found something new that really like resonates with their soul and connects them to God in a deeper way. So I'm excited. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm also excited. I'm really, I'm just really glad for this whole session seven vibe, uh, that we're taking the time to carve out for this kind of material. I think there's so much value in all the other stuff. Of course. I mean, it's, it's all wonderful, but, uh, this, this feels refreshing and good to me and I hope other people, uh, find it. And yeah, like you said, try different things. If something's not your bag, if, you know, reads various things, 
aren't working for you uh, and Josh's are, then that's awesome. Like go with that. But yeah, that's a, it's a good time. It's a good time to be alive on Bama, Brent. <laughs> that's right. And uh, a blockbuster list of show notes today. So go to BamaCipleship.com and check those out. Uh, find, find a book that speaks to you or, or uh, you know, prayer book or poetry or whatever it is, like check something out. Uh, I think it would be probably like these, this list is something that you've honed over years. So I don't think we're expecting anyone to, to go out and do all this stuff in the next week, but, right. uh, find, find something that, uh, that seems like it might be your deal and check it out, or maybe try to try something out that doesn't seem like it's your deal. And just, you know, maybe you'll find something that you didn't know you were going to find. So be attentive to it. Right on, right on. So that's it for this episode, Reed. Um, okay. Thanks for sharing all that with us. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for joining us today on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. I cringe at the word just attentiveness in a vacuum because uh, it like sounds like so when i was in pentecostal church um growing up we had an alternative to boy scouts we had the christian version called the royal rangers and uh one of the like virtues of a royal ranger was attentiveness which basically (laughs) just meant you stood and like you stood still and didn't like cause a ruckus whenever the adults were talking but attentiveness still works